Congress will be particularly partisan this week. It's the week of the State of the Union speech, with a governor and former Trump administration press spokeswoman giving the response to President Biden. Fun. For more of what's going on, Bloomberg Government Deputy News Director Lauren Duggan. And I guess the State of the Union is a good time for each of the parties to lay out their agendas, relay them out. So it does have a clarifying effect on where the battles will be, doesn't it? It definitely does. And, you know, once a year they gather in a chamber and hear from the president. Um, It's going to be a different reception for him than the last two that he's given, where he was with a Democratic Congress with Nancy Pelosi over one of his shoulders. This time it'll be Kevin McCarthy with whom he had, which seemed to be a cordial meeting last week. But, um, you know, it's it's a new reality that he faces, a set of proposals that aren't going to be welcomed by the party in control of the House, um, but definitely kind of the kickoff for the year ahead, including budget battles, which are going to be one of the key things going into the, the debates that will happen for the next several months. Right, because the budget battle now has become intertwined with the fact of the debt ceiling, which has not been resolved. And so they're really hard to separate those two issues. I think the Democrats would like to separate them. But the Republicans are seeing that as a point of leverage. Right. These are three separate questions that Congress faces on different timelines. One is annual funding, which, you know, the appropriations process is all about. And the budget that's sent up sometime in March will lay out the administration's visions there. But then there's the debt limit, which is really about paying the bills that you've already incurred with everything you've passed into law. And then there's mandatory spending programs, many of which operate on autopilot and they don't look at that often or maybe here or there, they take a look at the way some of these programs work. All these are going to be intertwined. And do you agree to a debt limit increase only if there's changes to mandatory spending, only if there's caps on discretionary spending? All those things are kind of a a soup right now that they're dealing with all at once, even if some of the bigger decisions may not be made till later in the year on things like what to fund the Pentagon at starting October 1st or something like that. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a long-term debate that'll pause for a couple of hours and then continue again or That will be the catalyst for continuation. What else is going on, though? There is a bill on vaccine requirements for foreign visitors. That's right. So the House has been taking aim at some of the policies put in place during the pandemic. Um, Last week, as you know, they voted to end the public health emergency and the national emergency and try to end pandemic telework rules. But this week, the one that they're bringing up is to end the requirement that people coming in from abroad have a vaccine. Um, So this is one of the policies that was put into place, one of the, you know, lingering aspects of the pandemic policies, and that's one that the House is looking to get rid of. Um, It's not clear that any of these things that have been passed in the House are going to be taken up by the Senate, um, but it's a way for the House to continue to chip away at what they see as the return to normal that they want to see the Biden administration agree with and change policies about. Right. That bill to return telework to pre-pandemic levels that was put forth by Representative Comer, that's probably not going to go anywhere because, I mean, it passed the House, correct, but the Senate won't take up a thing like that so far as we can tell. So far as we can tell, that won't come up. I mean, you could see if they got a bill on the floor and had an open amendment process, maybe they'll take a vote on something like that. The one that at least one senator, um, Roger Marshall, who's been successful in the past to getting the Senate to vote on ending the national emergency, he may try to use the the rules that exist in law and in the Senate books to force a vote on that at some point. Um, as we know, the Biden administration said that emergency is going to come to an end on May 11th under their new schedule. Um, so it might be a 
moot point whether or not they vote on that. Uh, but that's the one where there are some procedural tools that give the minority in this in this case a chance to potentially force a vote if everything lines up correctly. We're speaking with Lauren Duggan, deputy news director at Bloomberg Government, and there is at least one judicial pick in the work, and I think. Senator Cotton has threatened to hold up all judicial nominations. Right. So this is one of the things that the Senate is looking at doing this year. And the Senate Judiciary Committee last week churned out a number of nominees that were sent up last year, didn't get through the finish line and have started over again. Um, but the the thing about nominations is it only takes a simple majority to push those through. There's no 60 vote requirement. So even if a senator says he's going to hold it up, um, the, my, the majority, if they stay united, can push those through and over the line as long as they have you know 50 votes and maybe the vice president to come and break a tie. So um, it may slow things down. They may not get agreements to expedite things. But this is a top priority for the Biden administration and for Majority Leader Schumer and Majority Whip Durbin, who, by the way, is also the judiciary chairman. So um, he has a lot of sway when it comes to that. Sure. And getting back to the House, they are looking at two D.C. laws that have become from the city council have become the law of the city recently. One is on voting to let anyone who's been in the city for 30 days, regardless of where they came from, including, you know, the Kremlin or something, could vote in D.C. elections. And the other was the overhauling of the criminal code, not sitting well with Republicans on the Hill either. No, it's not. And this is one of the the things when Congress set up a government in D.C. under the D.C. Home Rule Act, they gave themselves the authority to overrule D.C. laws. That's um, often not invoked, but this is a case where House Republicans are going to use that law that's on the books to try to challenge these two laws. And um, I, I expect we'll hear a lot in particular about the crime one, um, just given some of the statistics around D.C. and some of the interest there. Um, but it's again, these are some things that may be difficult to bring up in the Senate. And um, the Biden administration may not want to overrule the D.C. government. Um, you know, but this is one of the one of the facts of life in Washington, D.C. and the way it's set up and the way that the laws setting up self-government for D.C. do give Congress the opportunity, if they wish, to overturn this um, by passing a joint resolution. So uh, kind of an unusual thing. We haven't seen it for a while, but um, something that will dominate some floor debate. It seems like the House is having vote after vote on different laws that different bills that probably won't become laws because it's the opposite of what the Senate wants to do. The Senate doesn't seem to be generating much in the way of new legislation at the moment. And it's going to be confined, it sounds like, to what it can do, and that is pass on judicial nominations. If I got it right, anything else happening up there? That's been sort of the pace so far. The House has had a lot of votes on a lot of bills that, to you know, as we've said here, are unlikely to get through the Senate. The Senate really hasn't had many votes at all. They just set up their committees on Thursday of last week, so they can start this week to get those up and running and start generating some bills and some more nominees out of there. But there are some tentpole bills that we'll see action on, the FAA reauthorization, the Farm Bill. There's already some start, you know, some talks and hearings around both of those issues. So there will be some legislation there. The appropriations process, some version of it will happen. But this early period, at least, it's a lot of messaging bills, things that were ready to go is what the House Republicans called them initially, although even some of those they ended up not bringing up in the end. So I, I think this is a prelude to what we'll see the rest of the year. But there, there are some things that have to get done. And when they get closer to those, I think we'll see more substantive um, action on those things. Yeah, there was a little bit of moonlight and roses breaking through, as you said, in that meeting between House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Biden, and they were 
not saying they'll agree, but they were saying they wouldn't tear each other's throats out. I, I guess that's what constitutes progress in today's Washington. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's the first meeting of many, and uh, he, he speaks for his conference. But as we saw, the conference may not always go along and may have some other ideas, too. So, But a, a good first meeting is a good first step. Well, let's hope they can agree on Bush Mills or Jamison's. Lauren Duggan is Deputy News Director at Bloomberg Government. Thanks so much. Thank you. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they are, they're really heroes. And um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone and I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in my information and lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and um, I learn uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C., and, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom and comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story, like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, 
you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that, uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give, uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but, but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so, uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we, we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day. But, uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the, at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. And, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn. 
from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.